Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are just over 48 hours away. From the AFC South Championship game, the Jaguars and the Titans Saturday night, 8-15. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. We have a ton to do over the next two hours. We are certainly glad you have uh, decided to join us. Coming up tonight, my friend Alex Marvez, Sirius XM NFL Radio. He has covered the National Football League for many years. He's also a Pro Football Hall of Fame. Voter. So I want to talk to Alex Marvez about a lot of things. Certainly the Jaguars and the Titans, but also Fred Taylor's chances moving forward. Of course, we know Fred did not make the finals list last night, the 15 finalists, but Alex Marvez is a guy that votes in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I think that will be an interesting conversation to have. So a lot of things to discuss with Alex. He's coming up in about 20 minutes or so. How about former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady? Probably the best tight end to ever play here in Jacksonville. We'll talk to Kyle Brady about the Jaguars, about Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, obviously the game on Saturday night, and also Evan Ingram just broke Kyle Brady's record for receiving yards in a single season by a tight end. So we'll have a big conversation about all that with former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady. That is coming up right around 9 o'clock this evening. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, my friend Ben Arthur, the AFC South reporter for Fox Sports, as we will get you a Tennessee side of things tonight. We'll talk about the Titans and how they are approaching this matchup on Saturday. So we got a ton to do here on Hacker After Dark on a Thursday. We'll keep you updated with anything that breaks in the world of sports. And as we do every night, to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Oh, what a difference a year makes. 365 little days. 365 days ago. You, the Jacksonville Jaguar fans, were preparing to dress up as clowns at TIAA Bank Field and voice your frustration for the direction of the organization and voice your frustration for the fact that general manager Trent Baalke was going to keep his job. You remember that? Remember the clown movement on Twitter? A lot of you took part in it. A lot of you thought it was the right thing to do. Voice your frustration, and I get it. Look, there's a reason I posted the win-loss record of the Jaguars 
going back over a decade every time they lost. I was frustrated too. Everybody was frustrated. I'm not faulting you necessarily for dressing up as clowns or putting clown Denmark, you're the cool hip guy. What are those photos called on Twitter? The avatars? Indeed. All right. On your avatar, on your profile there on Twitter. People sent them to me, wanted me to join the movement. I respectfully declined, but hey, you know, I got it. 365 days ago. All right. Let's examine where we are now, shall we? Raise your hand if you wanted Byron Leftwich to be your head coach. Oh, Jaguar fans were up in arms when Byron didn't get the job. What are we doing? Why would they not hire Byron Leftwich? Why would they not bring him home? What he did with Tom Brady. Learning from Mike Tomlin. We need to bring that sort of thing here to Jacksonville. Yeah. I think Doug Peterson has worked out just fine. Doug Peterson has a great argument to be NFL coach of the year. Maybe he should be NFL coach of the year. I know there are some great candidates, but is there a coach that has done a better job from what he inherited? You could argue Brian Dable in New York. You could argue O'Connell in Minnesota. Although O'Connell inherited... Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen. Dable would probably be my vote right now, getting the Giants into the playoffs, but Doug Peterson's right there, man. Cleaning up the nonsense of Urban Meyer. Having this team start 3-7, and seven, not quit. Now here they are at 8-8. Eight and eight. One win on Saturday away from a division title. Only their second division title this century. So that was the head coach part of it. But the clown movement, by and large, was to voice your frustration about the Jaguars retaining general manager Trent Baalke. You know it, and I know it. No matter what you want to say now, many of you listening did not want Trent Baalke as the general manager of the Jaguars. And I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. I wanted a clean sweep. My venom didn't necessarily go directly towards Balky, but he was the last guy left in the room, right? He was the last guy that had anything to do with Doug Marone, anything to do with Dave Caldwell, and obviously anything to do with Urban Meyer. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But... Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. And, oh, the fan base was angry. You guys were angry to the point where grown men and women literally bought red rubber noses, put clown makeup on their face, bought out all the Halloween costume stores here in town of their clown costumes, and... I mean, well over a 1,000 last year against the Colts dressed as clowns to voice your disapproval for the direction of the franchise. What has Trent Baalke done since then? Well, let's take stock here. 
He has signed free agents, right, in March. They had a free agent hall, right? They signed Christian Kirk. All Christian Kirk has done is catch 78 passes for 1,009 yards and seven touchdowns. Christian Kirk became the sixth Jaguar wide receiver in team history to eclipse 1,000 yards. Trent Baalke signed Zay Jones. Zay Jones? Who is Zay Jones, you said? Why are they giving Zay Jones $30 million? Zay Jones, 78 catches, 802 yards, and five touchdowns. Trent Baalke signed Evan Ingram. Oh, the guy in New York that's hurt all the time? The guy that was the first-round bust? Why? What are you doing signing Evan Ingram? was said in March. You can deny it all you want now. That was the verbiage that was used by many Jaguar fans. Many of you that are probably listening right now. It's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. You guys always point out when I'm wrong. I'm flipping the script. I'm pointing out now when you're wrong. Why are they signing Evan Ingram? Evan Ingram, 69 catches, 739 yards. Jaguar single season record for receiving yardage by a tight end and four touchdowns. On the defensive side of the ball, the Jaguars released Miles Jack the day after they signed a guy named Foye Lewican. What are they doing? Miles Jack wasn't down. He is the heart and soul of this defense. You're bringing in a guy from Atlanta that no one really knows. Why? What What are you doing cutting Miles Jack? That was said many times. Foye Oluwakin has 171 tackles. And he is going to lead the National Football League in tackles for the second straight year. You signed Foley Fadakasi from New York. When Fadakasi's been healthy this year, He's been a force. It's a good signing. Darius Williams was not very good for a, at least half of the year. That's the one where I maybe gave Trenton Balky a little grief. You seen the last couple of games since they moved Darius Williams outside? He's a beast. He's playing very well. Arden Key. Who the heck is Arden Key? I had a Jaguar season ticket holder. A buddy of mine texted me. I won't tell you the text exactly word for word when they signed Arden Key, but it was not flattering to either he or Balky. Arden Key has been a great signing. You cannot argue with any of the free agent signings that Trent Balky made. Not one. You know, last year, his first year as general manager, He signed Shaq Griffin. That's a terrible signing. Terrible. One of the worst signings ever. I'm fair. I'll tell you that. It was a bad signing. He also signed Rayshon Jenkins and Roy Robertson-Harris. Last year, those guys did not play very well. If you watch the last six weeks, I'm not sure Rayshon Jenkins isn't the best defensive player out there. And I'm not sure Roy Robertson-Harris hasn't been the best defensive lineman out there. They have been awesome in the last six weeks. I'll even go one step further. Trent Baalke's been the general manager. 
here in Jacksonville for two years, 2021 and 2022. This is an amazing stat. Here are the guys that have caught passes, at least one pass this year, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Marvin Jones, Travis Etienne, Jamal Agnew, Dan Arnold, Jamichael Hasty, James Robinson, although he's obviously no longer here, Chris Manhurts, Tim Jones, Luke Farrell. You know what all of those guys have in common? Every single guy that's caught at least one pass this year. What is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11 guys have caught at least one pass. All 11 of those guys were brought in in either 2021 or 2022. Trent Balky as general manager brought all 11 guys in that have caught at least one pass this year. Go to the defensive side of the ball. The leading tacklers for the Jaguars. Foyer Aluikin, Devin Lloyd, Rayshon Jenkins, Andre Sisco, Tyson Campbell. Your five leading tacklers on the defense. All brought in by Trent Baalke. You then go Josh Hamilton, or Josh Allen, Davon Hamilton. Those were pre-Balky guys. But then you get right back in to Darius Williams, Trayvon Walker, Roy Robertson-Harris, and Chad Muma. Nine of the top 11 tacklers on defense, all brought in by Trent Baalke. And it goes without saying, Baalke, although my Boston Terrier would have done the same thing, he also drafted Trevor Lawrence. So what does this all mean? What am, what's the point I'm getting at? I'm just saying how quick we are to pass judgment. Media and fans alike, we're all in this boat together. I have been guilty of it several times. But I get called out on it, which I don't mind. I've always said, and you guys know this, I love the fact that you listen, love the fact that you interact. I always enjoy the conversation. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. You know, I think when it gets personal, that crosses a line. But as long as it doesn't get personal, if you want to tell me I'm an idiot for thinking this or a moron for thinking that as far as the Jaguars or whatever, that's fine with me. And when I'm wrong, you guys tell me. Well, I'm telling you that a lot of you listening right now were wrong about Trent Baalke. And I'm lumping myself in there. I will admit that I was more by association. I wanted Balky out because he was associated with Caldwell, with Marone, and with Meyer. And I even said at the time, I was like, man, Balky criticism is kind of over the top. It's one of those deals where everybody was spewing all their venom at Urban. And then when Urban was gone, the guy left standing was Balky. There was nobody there to protect him anymore from the fans' venom. It had to go somewhere, so it went to Balky. And I do believe some of the criticism he got 365 days ago was unfair. Because that guy's done a hell of a job, man. You know, as much as we want to credit Doug Peterson, and with good reason, Doug Peterson, like I said earlier, certainly in the conversation for NFL Coach of the Year, Doug Peterson deserves a ton of credit. I just don't want people to lose sight of the fact that Trent Baalke, amidst an avalanche of negativity towards him by this fan base, 365 
days ago, dressed up as clowns, has done a hell of a job as a Jaguar general manager. Has brought in a ton of talent as the Jaguar general manager. And because of the work of Trent Baalke and because of the work of Doug Peterson and that staff, the Jacksonville Jaguars find themselves one win away from their second division championship this century. Absolutely incredible. Incredible. I'll tell you what else is incredible. The excitement in this city. You cannot go anywhere. The grocery store, the restaurants. I went to take my son to karate today. Now, maybe it helps because I'm all about the shameless self-promotion, Denmark. I had my hacker hat on, loud and proud. But, boy, I was getting it. Karate practice or karate, whatever. they. I guess it's practice, whatever. He was hitting people with gloves. He didn't hit the wood? Yeah, no, not the wood yet. We're not there yet. Okay. Maybe when he's four. I don't know if they let three-year-olds do that. But people at karate, hacker, what do you think about this? The Jaguars, that. How about this teal out movement, man? Jaguars are going all teal. According to the Jaguar Twitter handle, the end zones appear they're going to be teal, and they're handing out teal towels with the saying from Dewey Wingard. It was all about the Jags. It's all about the Jags. It was always the Jags. It's awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. That environment Saturday night is going to be one of the best environments ever. And, in fact, that's it. You know what? Let me put that on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Now, let's not go off the deep end. Playoff home games, playoff games probably need their own tier. But when you're talking regular season football, Games played in Jacksonville in the regular season. Is this the biggest regular season home game ever? I mean, we're talking 28 years. Is this the biggest regular season home game that the Jacksonville Jaguars will have ever played? What else is the competition? I think December 22nd, 1996 is on the list, the Atlanta Falcons. That, of course, game will be remembered forever because of Morton Anderson. I don't remember any game in 2017 having this sort of feel. Heck, I don't remember any game in 1999 in the regular season having this sort of feel. This might be the biggest regular season home game ever. If you got a better one, let me know because I can't think of one off the top of my head. Six four one ten ten. if you want to get involved on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. And why is this the biggest regular season game potentially ever in Jaguar history? Because of the work of Doug Peterson and your general manager, Trent Baalke. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line. And again, on the text line, they are always open to you. Coming up next, Alex Marvez. Sirius XM, NFL Radio. He's a coach of the year voter. We'll ask about Doug Peterson's candidacy. He's also a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. What does Fred Taylor need to do to move forward to get into that room? 
with the 15 finalists. And we might throw a couple of questions about the AFC South Championship game in there as well. Alex Marvez, Sirius XM NFL Radio next, Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And we're glad you're with us right here on Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Saturday night, 815. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's go to a man that we've had on many times over the years. You hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. You see him on All Elite Wrestling. My friend Alex Marvez, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Alex, how we doing, man? Ryan, I wish I was doing as well as the Jaguars, to be quite honest with you. What an amazing story this year as they continue to try to make history. You know, it's not just going, uh, you know, maybe from the worst team in the NFL to, to reaching the postseason. Last team that did that was the 2008 Miami Dolphins. But, I mean, we're talking some stuff here that, that's almost unprecedented, like, you know, trying to become the first team and the only team since the 2020 uh, Washington, whatever they were at the time, to start 3-7 and seven and make the playoffs, right? I mean, they're trying for their first five-game winning streak since all the way back in 2005. And in this four-game winning streak, they got going now. I mean, they've been dominant. They're outscoring the opposition by an average of 16 points. They have a plus-eight sack differential. I mean, this Jags team is humming heading into Saturday night's game against what I do have to say, though, a very dangerous Tennessee Titans squad. No, I certainly agree. And we'll get your thoughts on the game coming up in just a little bit. You know, back to the Jaguars and Doug Peterson in particular – Alex, I don't think he's going to win it because certainly there are a lot of other great candidates, but I don't know league-wide if a head coach has done a better job under the circumstances than Doug Peterson has done on the field with what he inherited with that nonsense of Urban Meyer last year, all the close losses in October, and now to get to the Jaguars to where they are, one home win away from a division championship, my goodness, what a job by Doug Peterson. Oh, I mean, listen, you're talking about someone here who is a strong head coach of the year candidate this year. And, and I do. I'm one of the 50 voters for the Associated Press on this award. And, I, you know, it's wide open. I, I'm leaving it open right now because, I mean, you can vote for a number of different candidates, right? I mean, listen, Brian Dable and the job that he's done with the New York Giants, right? When we're just talking about first year coaches, how can I ignore Kevin O'Connell? and what he's done for the Minnesota Vikings. You know, of course, it's what have you done for me lately, and people are going to point to that loss to Green Bay. But reality is that they locked up the NFC North, it seems like, 100 years ago. So you got to look at him as a potential candidate. Nick Sariani, if they're able to beat, you know, the, the Eagles are able to beat, uh, you know, the, uh, the Giants on Sunday, I mean, they're going to have the number one seed locked up, and they've been dominant for much of the season until they lost Jalen Hurts. He's going to get votes. Andy Reid, what about him? I mean, is that remarkable or what? What he's done this year, everyone has saw the doom and gloom about Tyreek Hill. They've won nine of their last ten games. They're trying to zero in on being the number one seed in the AFC. I mean, so many worthy candidates this year. Ron, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the last time that I have seen so many head coach of the year candidates. Usually it's like maybe you know two, three. Sometimes the, the choice is clear cut. I don't think this year that is the case at all and i will say this as well because again as voters sometimes you get swayed you know by what's what's the last thing that you saw if this buffalo bills team rebounds and start and win some games and i know that the health of demar hamlin much better news earlier today when it came to demar and, and you know how he's getting how his recovery is continuing and hopefully that remains on track but if the, if the buffalo bills end up being the number one team in the afc 
I think some folks are going to look at Sean McDermott for this award as well. Sorry for the long answer, but it's a complicated question that I'm still going through in my mind, and I mine isn't made up, you know, entering week 18. No, there's no doubt. And like we said, there are a lot of great candidates. I completely agree with you with Sean McDermott. I mean, look, he's a football coach. He's a leader of men. But he's had to be so much more than that the last couple of days in light of what happened with DeMar Hamlin. But like you said, the news is much more promising now than, say, it was 24 or 48 hours ago. Back to Doug Peterson for a moment, Alex. And this sounds kind of juvenile, but truthfully, it's the way I feel. I cannot tell you how refreshing it is to have a Jaguar wide receiver or tight end actually open down the field. And then when they catch the ball to turn it upfield and gain additional yardage. Or here's a wild concept for there to be running lanes for Travis Etienne. We haven't seen that in Jacksonville in a long time, but Doug Peterson and Press Taylor and, you know, Mike McCoy, Jim Bob Cooter, all these offensive coaches, boy, they got this offense humming right now. What an experienced staff, right? I mean, you're talking about guys who have either been offensive coordinators or even head coaches in the case of Mike McCoy elsewhere. So, I mean, he's been able to lean on those guys. And I do want to say this as well. There isn't an executive of the year award that we vote upon, uh, you know, as far as the Associated Press. But, you know, you got to think about what, uh, you know, Trent Baalke, the man who everyone wanted to run out of town. I saw the pitchforks uh, that were set aside, you know, outside TIA Bank Field about this time last year. Remember Byron Lefwich and, and how, oh, my God, the Jags, you know, they couldn't hire Byron because, you know, they wanted to keep, uh, you know, him, Trent Baalke in place. Well, think about the tools that he has given Doug Peterson to work with, right? I mean, Evan Ingram, one-year deal, and you know he's not going anywhere because either franchise or sign him long-term, but he goes out and he's called a franchise record and career-best 69 passes this season for 739 yards. Christian Kirk delivers the first 1,000-yard season in his career. Big money free agent signing. He's delivered. And Zay Jones may be even better. I know he was a better bargain, but what a home run that they hit with him. How about Foye Aluakon coming on board? 171 tackles a season. Leads the NFL. Darius Williams in the secondary. Tied for second in passes defense with 15. I mean, these are all decisions that were made collectively by this group. But, I mean, you got to give you got to give Peterson – and Bucky credit for developing a great working relationship to give Doug the tools that he needs, you know, to build a quality team. And of course, uh, it speaks volumes about the work that's been done with Trevor Lawrence and the improvement that he's made. I've got a stat for you here that blows my mind. He is set to become the most improved quarterback in terms of rating from his rookie season to year two in NFL history. Wow. His quarterback, his quarterback rating has increased by a grand total of 23.5 points. You know, from from that rookie season where he was all over the place to where we are now, where right now he has the highest completion percentage in the NFL since week nine at 70.5. He is just he's delivering. And listen, I was worried. I'll be totally honest with you. Week four, week five, you saw that Eagles game. You saw that game in London against the Broncos, some of the sloppy play. And I'm thinking, is he going to be able to get this out of his season? Clearly, he has in the tutelage of Doug Peterson has gone such a long way toward doing so. Alex Marvez, Sirius XM NFL Radio, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Alex, you've covered the league for a long time, man. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. I'd also go back to that London game, and he was bad, and he'll tell you as much. He was bad in that game, and I don't know that flight home. I don't know what happened. The switch got turned on, whatever verbiage you want to use, but he has been a different player since they returned from London, arguably top 10, maybe top five quarterback in the National Football League. Look, it's one thing for a quarterback to have the switch turned on from one season to the next.
But to have the switch turned on in the middle of the year and to be so different now than he was, say, in early to mid-October, Alex, I don't remember seeing that a whole lot. No, I mean, and it does speak volumes about the young man. And you think about, too, the twist of fate uh, that that led him to Jacksonville, right? And, and we got a little taste of that on Thursday Night Football a couple weeks ago with the Jets and Zach Wilson. And, and, you know, the fact that it was, you know, I remember the anniversary we were celebrating, what, December 23rd was the day a couple years ago where the Jets, who had been winless, upset the Los Angeles Rams. And all of a sudden, the Jags ended up moving into the driver's seat to get that number one pick in 2021. And, and you know, Trevor, obviously, the, the situation with Urban Meyer didn't help anyone last year. I mean, he was frustrated with the organization. There's no question about it. And, you know, but in, in there were questions about him as well. I mean, you know, listen, this was a young man who had never lost in high school and college, and he comes on board. You can only imagine the frustration that he had. But what the Jags did this year, they put Trevor in a situation with the skill talent that we talk about. And, and you know, guys, are, uh, you know, Geno Smith is almost considered a lock to win the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Tra- Travis Etienne, you know, think about what he's provided this team. And, you know, for everyone, when he was initially drafted, Urban Meyer didn't do much good during his time here, but he saw talent in this young man. And you think about it, you know, because James Robinson had done such a nice job for the Jags, but he is not, uh, you know, Travis Etienne. Travis has been awesome, 1,108 rushing yards right now. I mean, and, you know, to you know, it's hard to say a comeback player when what is he coming back from? We never saw him play as a rookie. So I don't know if he's going to get it. But I just think that, that you know, Trevor has learned to capitalize on so many different parts of this offense. I mean, there's so many different weapons that he has, and he has clearly become more comfortable after that game in London, you know, taking advantage of everyone at his disposal. All right, Alex. Again, Alex Marvez, Sirius XM NFL Radio. Let's focus on Saturday night, the AFC South championship game between the Jaguars and the Titans. You said it earlier. I completely agree with you. To me, it's cautious optimism, right? On paper, (laughs) it's clear the Jaguars are the better team. Uh, They went to Nashville four weeks ago and put it on the Titans pretty good. Tennessee is wounded. And maybe it's that logo, Alex. Maybe it's the voodoo of that logo here in Jacksonville and the damage the Titans have done to this organization over the past 24, 25 years. But you know as well as I do, Vrabel is going to have those guys ready. Derrick Henry is going to be a beast. And Jacksonville is going to have to play their A game to win the division Saturday night. Well, I mean, the Titans have the benefit of, you know, think about this, not only like essentially a mini buy coming off of Thursday night football, but think about how they treated that Thursday night game against the Dallas Cowboys, right? I mean, they didn't, they, they rested key players who were banged up. Maybe they could have gone if needed, you know, like a Jeffrey Simmons, like an Amani Hooker. I mean, like guys like this, Danico Autry. I mean, these are quality players who are going to be back for the Titans. And of course, the King Derrick Henry, he was doubtful. With a, with a leg injury, but he's going to be good to go. And we know the damage that he has caused through the years for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, he and you, we even saw it earlier this year in the first half when he rushed for 119 yards, you know, in that game, the first game uh, that really triggered this Jaguars run. Um, but then they stopped him in the second half, only two yards rushing. He lost two fumbles. But uh, it, clearly the Titans offense is going to continue to go through him. What I'm wondering about here, and Mike Brable dropped a little hint about this in a news conference this week, are we going to see Malik Willis in certain packages? I mean, are they going to just try to catch the Jaguars off guard, you know, with some things that maybe Malik can provide, you know, the speed with his legs? You know, Josh Dobbs is going to be more comfortable, and he did a, a yeoman's, a yeoman's effort 
against the Dallas Cowboys, right? I mean, the first game that he had played in since week 17 of 2020, he'd only been there for eight days, uh, you know, previously. But, you know, he's going to be a lot more comfortable in this playbook. And you just wonder, you know, do the the Jaguars have the danger of looking ahead, maybe toward, toward, you know, the postseason uh, where they haven't been, obviously, since 2017, just because the team has been so successful over the past couple of, of, you know, weeks. And, you know, you start to maybe, you, you have to make sure the focus is on the Titans. You know, this is a team, look, Tennessee, not great. Six straight losses, I get it. They're guaranteed their first losing season since 2015. But when it comes to situational football, there is nobody outside of Bill Belichick, in my opinion, better at that than Mike Vrabel. I mean, he's just a mastermind at knowing how to exploit certain things in certain situations. They don't make mental mistakes on the sidelines. They know how to use the clock. They know how to use the rule book. I mean, he's phenomenal at that sort of thing. So, I, I mean, even though on paper, Jacksonville, I mean, really should win this game pretty handily, and maybe they will. I just expect a lot closer contest on Florida's first coast on Saturday night. Final moments here with Alex Marvez of Sirius XM NFL Radio. The thing, Alex, that we almost have to reprogram ourselves here in Northeast Florida from a Jaguar fan base and, quite frankly, a Jaguar media, to be honest, we're always used to the worst-case scenario, right? The worst possible scenario is going to happen for this Jaguar team. But that was before Trevor Lawrence, and that was before Doug Peterson. And I can't get that out of my head. Uh, Under normal circumstances, I would think the Jaguars are going to Jaguar us again, if you will, and and lose the game, and fans will be very, uh, you know, upset on Saturday night. But then I go back to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, and it's just, it's different. We always talk about, you know, it feels different here, and that was just a vibe to tell the fan base year after year after year. But legitimately, Alex, and you're close to the organization too, I mean, with the work you do with Tony and All Elite Wrestling, it does feel different here now with Peterson and Lawrence. Yeah, and you know, so listen, as we all know, Doug played the position. He speaks the same language as Trevor Lawrence, right? And there's a trust factor. And Doug, right from the get-go, that was his, that was, it wasn't just the X's and O's part of things. It was getting the trust of Trevor Lawrence after he was so badly burnt by Urban Meyer and the way that things were being done here. And, you know, Doug managed to do that as time went along and Trevor buying into all of that. And that's why it does feel so different. So that's why you feel so good about this team moving ahead because let's be real here. Think about how often a team ends up winning a Super Bowl when their quarterback's on their second contract. You know, it just, it doesn't often happen. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, Tom Brady's been on 100 different contracts, but Tom Brady also isn't commanding the highest salary in NFL history, if you know what I'm saying. He's not consuming so much of the salary cap, he can't build a team around him. I mean, and this is why the Jags were wise to spend the way that they did this offseason in terms of, you know, building this team around him. And, you know, and and then at that point, you know, now you've got another year after this before you got to open up the bank vault and pay Trevor Lawrence maybe $50 million, $60 million a year probably closer to 60, to be honest with you at that point, and you may be not able to spend on the supporting cast the way that you didn't have to rely more upon the draft and lower-level free agent signings. So the window of opportunity for the Jaguars has opened a little bit earlier, I think, than some of us thought it would, but that uh, no complaints from me about that. This team is, is a very dangerous team heading into January. Alex, final question, and again, really appreciate your time. know you're very busy this time of year. Uh, you are a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. You've been in that room for several years last night the 15 finalists were announced and unfortunately here in Jacksonville Fred Taylor was not among the 15 it certainly I think ruffled some feathers but more so kind of disappointed the fan base look we're still on the euphoria of Baselli so 
I, we're, right. we're okay, but now we've kind of turned our attention to Fred and trying to get him at least into the room. I'm not saying he needs to get into Canton tomorrow, but I was a little surprised he wasn't among the 15 finalists. What was your thought on that? Uh, I mean, listen, I, I like Fred Taylor a lot. I'm a Gator. You know, actually, I interviewed him as a freshman, uh, you know, back in like, what, 1993, I believe, uh, you know, in his first game before they played Kentucky here in the swamp. So, and I live in Gainesville. So I'm awfully familiar with Fred Taylor. I think that the, the perception of him maybe is of someone who has compiled impressive stats, but maybe didn't pursue. Did, we don't remember, you know, playoff games with Fred Taylor. And this is something that works a bit against him, right? We just really don't have that. We don't, there's the seminal moments of Fred Taylor, I think among some voters, I just don't think he really resonates with a lot of folks. And I understand the statistics, you know, w- would indicate such, but I mean, it's interesting if I'm not mistaken and Ron work me through this when they had the voting what for the best player in Jacksonville history, is that what it was where he, he didn't beat out Baselli? It was uh, the top, the top 25 players of all time uh, for the 25 year anniversary and I believe Baselli was number one on that list, yeah. Yeah, so Tony's in. I think Fred, you know, I, it's going to be tough. I'll be honest with you. I just don't I just don't know if he carries the gravitas at this point. I, I mean, listen, Sam Kabarkas is going to do as good a job as anyone when it comes to trying to promote him and get him in among voters. Uh, but I just don't sense a groundswell uh, of people, you know, offering, you know, huge support for Fred Taylor to get in the hall. Maybe that'll change as time goes along. Listen, sometimes it takes a number of years for a player's greatness to be recognized. Uh, and, you know, how many other running backs are really coming down the pike right now that you say have a legitimate chance at reaching the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I mean, obviously, we know Frank Gore is going to be up there. But, I mean, right now, at last I checked, I believe the you have to go down to about number 28 or so on the list of active running backs who have any sort like in terms of the, the Russian leaders in NFL history. In other words, the, it's just they don't they don't last very long. So as time goes along, maybe that's where he'll be looked at. But I can tell you this. I don't know if he leapfrogs Roger Craig, you know, while Roger's still a modern era candidate. You know, that's someone who I think is someone that has some pro football Hall of Fame gravitas. I know there was buzz about Rick, uh, Ricky Waters at some point, but I didn't consider him. I, I think Fred's a step above him, to be honest with you. But just don't just don't feel it right now. And, you know, the key, though, is to just get in that group of 15. That's what it is, you know, because we listen as a Hall of Fame voter. I can only vote upon what's presented to me. And if he doesn't make the cut from 25 to 15, well, then that's an issue. You know what I mean? Then there's no there's no conversation about him in the room among voters. You can't really promote him. And then if he doesn't get in, on you know, the first year, you can bring him back if you feel his candidacy was strong enough to do that. We're going to be voting in a couple weeks. Obviously, we have to, you know, so we can get this 2023 Hall of Fame class in. And, you know, once players move out and this year. Just to, to give you a little bigger picture scope here as well, I mean, as time goes on, you look at, okay, who's a first ballot Pro Football Hall of Famer? This year, going in, I figure Joe Thomas has a pretty darn good shot at being a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I feel that, that you say the same about Darrell Rivas. Anyone else probably has to wait. So you're going to get three people that are, have been in that room voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in all likelihood, and that's going to create some opportunities for others to come in. So that's where we're at with Fred Taylor. Hopefully in 2023, by the, you know, the time we're talking about this in 2024, the news is better for him. But, uh, but that's just my opinion as to where things are with Fred Taylor. And I certainly appreciate that perspective. And again, I think that was the key with Baselli. Once Baselli got in to the 15, got into the room, 
then the talk really started amping up with Tony, and that's at least the hope here that Fred at one day gets into the room of 15 so the conversation can really pick up. We always enjoy the conversation with Alex Marvez. You see him with all elite wrestling. You also hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Alex, appreciate the time, brother. Thank you as always. We'll do it again soon. Duval. Thank you, Ryan. Be good, This just on Hacker After Dark. So reports are coming out this evening. This one from Diana Rossini of ESPN. That the NFL owners will meet tomorrow to discuss and decide how the AFC playoff seating will work. We should have definitive knowledge prior to the weekend games. All right. So that means you're going to find out either tomorrow or I guess Saturday morning before Kansas City kicks off against Las Vegas at 4.30 Saturday afternoon. There have been so many scenarios thrown out there about what to do about the playoffs uh, in the AFC. Obviously, it appears that the Bengals and the Bills will not be made up. They're either going to call it a no contest. I even saw a report earlier that the talk is perhaps the Bengals could be awarded the win because Buffalo has, quote, no interest in replaying the game. There are other reports that say, well, maybe you could add an eighth playoff team in the AFC so that no one gets a bye because that's the the pressing issue here is who has the number one seed. That's why the Buffalo-Cincinnati game was so important Well, if you add an eighth playoff team, then that doesn't become as important anymore. Everybody would play in the AFC on wildcard weekend. But then I'm thinking, all right, as cool as that sounds, like the New York Jets are a prime example. The Jets were eliminated from the postseason last week. Yet if you add an eighth playoff team, all of a sudden now they would still be alive for a postseason berth. I just, for the life of me, I can't imagine that happening. So who knows what's going to happen? I I would think, you know, whether you do a win percentage or something along those lines, for Jacksonville's purposes, it won't really matter. Um, They're either going to be the four seed, an outside, outside shot of the seven seed, or that's it. Unless they do that unbelievable thing where they add another playoff team, And then I guess the eighth seed would be in play for Jacksonville. But again, I would be very, very surprised if that's the route the National Football League goes. But you got to have clarity on it before 4.30 Eastern Standard Time on Saturday. Because Kansas City kicks off against the Raiders. And Kansas City right now is sitting in the one seed. And they need to know what's going on. Because if everybody's playing... Next week, why would Kansas City play any of their guys? Why would Mahomes or anybody play if they're not going to get a bye? Which, again, I don't imagine is going to happen, but at this point, who really knows? But again, the owners will meet tomorrow to discuss and decide on what to do with the AFC playoff seedings and the AFC playoff picture. Again, a big part of that is what happens here in Jacksonville. On Saturday night, the Jaguars and the Titans, the winner gets the four seed and is the champions 
of the AFC South. If the Titans lose, they're done. If the Jaguars lose, there's an outside shot of Miami, New England, and Pittsburgh all losing where Jacksonville could still get the seven seed and the final spot in the playoffs. One more thing, too, that I, I am just flabbergasted by, and I don't believe this to be the case. Did you see the statement Jim Harbaugh released today? Jim Harbaugh, the head coach at Michigan, amidst all the conversation that he's talking to NFL teams, releases this statement that was actually put on the University of Michigan's official Twitter handle. This is what Harbaugh said. I am aware of the rumors and speculation over the past few days. College and NFL teams have great interest in all our personnel, from players to coaches to staff, and I truly believe that a testament it is a testament to the strength of our university and football program. As I stated in December, while no one knows what the future holds, I expect that I will be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. I have spoken with president uh, I have spoken with our university president and athletic director and appreciate their support of me and our program. Our mission as Wolverines continues to be preparing for the 2023 season with great passion and enthusiasm. That is the most awful official statement that I might have ever heard. I expect that I will be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. I like the word expect. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the biggest cop-out I've ever seen. You could have said... I'm going to be here. End all the speculation. I'm a Michigan Wolverine. Any of those things. Or just don't release a statement. Yeah, many reports have said if he gets offered by the NFL, he's gone. Yeah, I mean. Without question. Carolina's in the conversation. Denver is in the conversation. The reason I bring up Harbaugh, there are reports out from South Florida that Mike McDaniel might be in trouble. And to that, I, I can't believe after one year. Now, they have certainly gone in the in the toilet the last, uh, what, six weeks. Remember how good Miami was late October, early November? They have gone in the absolute toilet since. But Mike McDaniel does not deserve to be fired at all. And if you're going to let him go, it would be asinine to me, but it would almost mean that you already have a deal done with either Sean Payton or a Jim Harbaugh. And that's the only reason any of this Mike McDaniel speculation is going on right now. Former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady coming up in a matter of moments. We'll talk Jaguars Titans. We'll talk Trevor. We'll talk Doug. I want to talk Evan Ingram with Kyle Brady. Evan Ingram just broke Brady's uh, single season yardage record for a Jaguar tight end. So we'll go down memory lane, talk about the Jaguars and the Titans this Saturday with Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady coming up in just a bit. Before we get there to the phone lines we go at 641-1010. Let's get Muhammad in here on Hacker After Dark on a Thursday. Muhammad, what's going on? Hey, guys. I just want to say one thing. I mean, could you imagine what kind of bullet we dodged by not bringing on Nathaniel Hackett? I mean, this is a guy who I've been saying when he was the offensive coordinator here, I didn't like him. And, and, And I said by week three, the Denver Broncos need to get rid of him. 
and he probably single-handedly, you know, I don't want to say ruined Russell Wilson's career and, and ruined the Denver Broncos' chances at a, at a playoff run, which everyone thought so before the season started. But gosh, he was a front runner. I mean, he was a favorite higher than Peterson, and and, and look look what would have happened. And uh, I'm just I'm just thankful that we went with Peterson, and I just can't believe how big of a bullet we dodged. And and I give credit to to Balky and the entire Jaguars organization, but I also think it was a bit of a look on our side that that, that didn't work out. So hey, Muhammad, appreciate the phone call, and you're right. There was legitimate talk about Nathaniel Hackett here. Remember all the guys they interviewed from Hackett to Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien. Matt Eberflus, Byron Leftwich, go on down the line. Jim Caldwell, remember that one? Jim Caldwell getting interviewed here. Doug Peterson. Remember, there were a lot of people that didn't want Doug Peterson. That was kind of the point of my opening segment. Early on here in the 8 o'clock hour. What a difference a year makes, man. 365 little days. We've gone from being angry that they hired Doug Peterson and not Byron Leftwich. We've gone from... Fans dressing up as clowns to voice their frustration for Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke to now being one win away from an AFC South division championship. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. We are at halftime on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We're with you until 10 o'clock. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark. There until 10 o'clock tonight. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter. You'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. Kyle Brady, one of the best to ever wear a Jaguar uniform. He's next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday. And we're glad you're with us, Jacksonville. No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Saturday night, 8-15 for the AFC South Division Championship. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing big football games in a Jaguar uniform. One of the best to ever do it in a Jaguar uniform is tight end Kyle Brady, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Kyle, it's been a while, man. How are you? Has been a bit, Hacker. Uh, I've been well. How about you? Everything good for the New Year so far? It's been great, man. Christmas was great. The New Year's was great. And I got to tell you, the Jaguars have been nothing short but great these last six weeks. Kyle, I want to get into Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, Evan Ingram with you. But a mile-up view as a great former Jaguar such as yourself how much fun have you had watching this team really for the last two months? It's been so refreshing. I mean, I just was talking to uh, Gene Frenette yesterday a little bit about all this and how, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just the average fan now. I mean, I get emotional about uh, the team's performance and, uh, you know, we go on the ups and downs in the roller coaster. I mean, I can remove myself being a football player and look at it more objectively and understand why things are happening the way they are. But, you know, I've been very pleased, though, and I think obviously everyone has. Um with coach Peterson, the job he's done really all year long. I mean, he's, this is a young team. This is a team that needed to learn how to win. And he knew that given time, he was going to teach them how to win. He was going to, he was creating a new culture. And um, I like the things he was saying all season long to them. And uh, like the things Trevor Lawrence was saying all season long, I could tell that within the building, there was not panic and they were understanding that it was going to be a process. And 
I think, thankfully for all of us, uh, the process has um, proven to be a, an effective one uh, sooner than we all thought. Uh, they, they're getting hot at the right time. This is exactly what you want to do in pro football is be playing your best football in November and December with uh, a group of guys that's growing in confidence with one another. They're believing they can win. You can see uh, it's synergistic. It's really just, you know, it's like the whole snowball effect. Kyle, for a guy like you, and Kyle Brady here with us, for a guy like you that played well over a decade in the National Football League, you certainly have a much more unique perspective than almost anybody listening right now. I look back at the Jaguar head coaching situation, dating back to Mike Malarkey, then go into Gus Bradley, and, you know, all due respect to Doug Marone, he did get him to an AFC championship game, uh, and then the fiasco that last year was with Urban Meyer and then I look at this year with Doug Peterson, and I can't tell you how refreshing it is, a, a media guy like myself, to actually see guys that are open downfield, actually to see running plays that, that work every once in a while. I mean, I know that sounds maybe juvenile, and I'm sure you have a much different eye to it, but Kyle, it looks completely different, Doug Peterson's offense, than what we've seen here for the better part of a decade very difficult media market there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny and uh it's it's intense it's on you every single day and the players feel it the coaches feel it so if you can keep your team focused if you've got that kind of coaching ability to do that in a city like that you can really do it anywhere and he's clearly got a very brilliant offensive mind he's surrounded himself with good assistance just like he did in philadelphia and it's a recipe for success you know you, you have the right guys that bind to the culture Oftentimes, young guys, you know, are, are more prone to do that, and often veterans are as well, especially if they've been used, been with you somewhere before. Um, so it's just it's the right combination. And you know, even in the off season when they're considering who to hire, I thought they needed to get an established guy, a guy who had been around in the pro ranks, who had some proven success, and um, he's clearly been the right guy, and hopefully he sticks with us for quite some time. You know, and, and not only Doug Peterson, but obviously, Kyle, the emergence of Trevor Lawrence. Now, you played with Mark Brunell, the greatest quarterback in Jaguar history to this point. Uh, Trevor is well on his way to being in the conversation of at least the top three quarterback in Jaguar history, even only after, you know, two years on the job. Just the transformation, Kyle, from what we saw from Trevor last year as a rookie to what we've seen this year. And I'll take it a step further. I mean, the first part of this year, he was struggling a little bit. And I don't know what happened after the London game, but he's been a completely different player. 14 touchdowns, two interceptions, completing 67% of his passes. I mean, you could argue Trevor Lawrence, Kyle, right now is a top five NFL quarterback. You certainly could argue that. And, you know, from the day he came in here, there's there's been – uh, obviously, talking of intense scrutiny, very much so on him being the first pick and um, having such a career with um, so much fanfare and, and notoriety at Clemson. You know, for the moment, I saw him, and I'm not a huge social media guy, so it's no way that I can prove this out other than to tell you. I've been, I've been saying to people all around time, he, he's got all the tools. He, he clearly he has got a strong arm. He's very athletic. He's elusive. He can make plays out of the pocket. He can do so many things you want a quarterback to do, and he – and he, I could just tell by the things he was saying, he had the right mindset. So if given those two, and, and he was a very hard worker, very diligent, uh, given those, that combination of factors, it was just a matter of time before he started experiencing success and given the right coaches, obviously. Last year was a regression year, really, for everybody on that roster. I mean, he was out there seeing defenses. He was experiencing NFL game speed, but the instability, it, it hurts 
the, the player it hurts the most is a quarterback because the game's going through him. Everyone's, you know, you get all the blame when you lose. You get probably more of the credit than you should when you win. But um, he stayed the course, and, and it was not easy for him, I'm sure, to listen to the ridicule, especially when, you know, they had the losing streak earlier this year. But even then, I mean, he was saying all the right things. He was withholding himself. He was not lashing out either at his teammates or at the media or blaming anyone. And that's a sign of maturity, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons they drafted him as high as they did too. It wasn't just the physical skills. It was his mental approach and the fact that they could tell he was going to be professional, which is how he's carried himself throughout this entire run. Um, yeah, he knows as a quarterback that his number one job is ball security and those are the things he was really struggling with earlier this season, the strip sacks and so forth, interceptions at critical times. So, those are all things a young quarterback's going to go through and they're going to learn from hopefully, and then they're not they're going to correct and, and make better. And that's exactly what he's done. He's just, it's all clicking now. And, you know, the emergence of Evan Ingram actually not to steal your transition, but has been huge. That's that takes pressure off the outside receivers. Uh, he's, he's got another option, another target. It's, I'm not sure exactly why they weren't using Ingram the way they have been in the last several weeks earlier in the season, earlier in the season, but, um, it's great that they've uh, he and Trevor have gotten on the same page the way they have. A couple of more for former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady. And, Kyle, you know what it's like to sign a free agent deal, to come to a different market, you from the Jets to the Jaguars, and you certainly lived up to that. You're the best tight end that's ever played here in Jacksonville. And you mentioned Evan Ingram. Uh, what a year Evan Ingram has had. Uh, not to pour salt in the wound, Kyle. I'm sure you were happy to hand over the mantle, but Evan just passed you, I think, in receiving yardage. Uh, for a single season in, in Jaguar history. Um, but, again, I'm sure you can appreciate Evan Ingram from New York, like you, to Jacksonville. Things maybe didn't work out for you in New York. You came here and you flourished. Evan Ingram, the exact same thing. Oh, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, he did break my record. And I had a number of people uh, texting me and mentioned it to me when I'd see them out in different places. And I said, you know, the way it's benefiting this team and the way – uh, it's benefiting him as a young man. He's obviously in a one-year contract, and uh, this is going to be a lucrative situation for him, I believe, given his performance over the last several weeks, uh, if not here, which hopefully is here uh, somewhere. And um, it's been great to see. I mean, he's playing with confidence, and he's a very good athlete, got good body control. He knows how to high point the ball, creates really good separation, and um, he's kind of being you know, a bit of a go-to guy here. And I couldn't be happier for, for him and the team. Final moments here with former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady. Kyle, you played in some enormous games in Jacksonville, including obviously the AFC Championship game against these same Tennessee Titans. And a lot of people are bringing up, you know, that game from 20-plus years ago. And now here we are, a winner-take-all game on Saturday night. And a guy like you that played in so many big games, I'm curious. There are a lot of young guys on the Jaguars. They played a lot of big college games but obviously haven't had that spotlight in the NFL, whereas Tennessee is certainly banged up and they're injured, but the guys they have left have been in the playoffs pretty consistently over the last couple of years. So is it just me, media guy, making this a big deal, or is the experience in big games maybe a concern for you from the Jaguar side coming into Saturday night? Uh, no, experience in big games does matter, and it, and it helps. I mean, um, knowing when you've, when you've been there before and you've proven to yourself that you can perform under that kind of pressure, it um, it means something. It, it 
it's something that you take into that game with you. But uh, I know that the Titans are very beat up. They're, they're, I think, one of the more injured teams uh, out there in the NFL right now. We've stayed relatively healthy. That's a big advantage. It's going to be important the first few drives. And I'm, I know Coach Peterson's going to, given his intelligence and experience, is going to um, create a game plan. A top, every NFL team goes into the game with a top 15 plays, the ones that they've scripted that they pretty much want to run. They're going to be uh, trying to establish the run, and they're also going to be trying to get uh, Trevor a, a couple of early completions um, on not necessarily difficult throws. I mean, they may go over the top if they see something, but a lot of times what a, an offensive coach will do like Peterson is get get, get the ball out of a, Trevor's hands quickly, let him get into the hands of his playmakers, help him feel good, get into a rhythm. Bill Parcells used to say, you know, um, when I played for him with the Jets, that uh, even with Phil Sims and some of his other quarterbacks that played for him for the Giants, he'd like to just um, let them get a completion or two in and then, and then start opening things up a little more. So um, that'll be helpful. That'll help settle their nerves if they can get a little rhythm in their first couple offensive drives. And uh, and once once you get settled into that rhythm, a lot of the nerves go away. It's just playing football. Kyle, final question. Um, you know, you, you, you live here, as you mentioned, you're not only – a terrific former Jaguar. You're now a Jaguar fan, so you know the city, you know the people in the in Duval County and the surrounding area. What do you think a win Saturday night would do, not only for the organization, but for this fan base that has put up with, quite frankly, a lot of nonsense over the last 15 years? You're right. It's been difficult, and um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I kind of feel like this franchise has been somewhat similar to the Cleveland Browns. You know. Um, who haven't won a championship, you know, in their uh, since the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era, anyway. So we've been we've been long suffering, we've been uh, patient, and we've been listening to the same promises year after year, which is, oh, you're going to see a better product, you're going to see a better performance on the field, and it just hasn't happened. I mean, we did have that little treat in 2017 where we went to the AFC Championship game, but other than that, it's been it's been a long road. So um, this would be great to see if we can obviously we can win this game and make the playoffs so unexpectedly. That's going to be, I think, so exhilarating and refreshing for everyone. It'll be great to see also if we can sustain this kind of success uh, for a nice little run of, a run of a few years. One of the best to ever do in a Jaguar uniform. Kyle Brady, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Kyle, enjoy the ball game. Hopefully the Jaguars bring home that AFC South title and make a run into the NFL postseason. Always appreciate you, my friend. Hey, thank you as well, Hacker. Great talking to you, man. Now, Campo, this just on Hacker After Dark. Always appreciate Kyle Brady for joining us here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. All right, so the NFL has come out in the last 10 minutes. The Bengals and the Bills game from Monday night is officially canceled, will not be made up. This is the very interesting piece of news that has come out in the last 10 minutes. The NFL says that the AFC Championship game will be played at a neutral site if the participating teams played an unequal number of games and both could have been the number one seed. So you're talking about Cincinnati, Buffalo, Kansas City. If two of those three teams are in the AFC Championship game, it's going to be at a neutral site. There will not be a home field advantage. Bringing it more, um, bringing it closer to what's going to happen this weekend, the Ravens, if the Ravens beat the Bengals on Sunday, 
in Week 18, those two teams could be scheduled to play a wild card game against one another. The home team for that game for wild card weekend will be determined by a coin toss. Wow. All right. So, again, if Baltimore beats Cincinnati this weekend and those two teams are scheduled to meet in a wild card game, if that happens, the home team will be determined by a coin toss. So that would mean the Chargers would beat Denver, and then that, that scenario would happen. Yeah, well, the Chargers beat Denver, they're coming to Jacksonville, or Tennessee, I guess. If the Chargers beat Denver, they're the five. Um, and again, the AFC Championship game will be played at a neutral site if the two participating teams played an unequal number of games and both could have been the number one seed. Wow, a lot to unpack there. We'll get more into that in just a little bit. Also, Ben Arthur, Fox Sports, their AFC South reporter. He's coming up in less than 15 minutes. A Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Ben Arthur, Fox Sports, AFC South reporter coming up in less than five minutes. How about this tweet from Jonathan Jones of CBS? With the Bills and the Bengals game officially canceled and ruled a no contest, this will be the first time since 1935 that NFL teams will have played a different number of games than other NFL teams. In 1935, the Boston-Philadelphia game wasn't played due to bad weather. That is absolutely incredible. Again, the reason this conversation can really happen now is because we've gotten some terrific, terrific news involving the, you know, DeMar, the player that was injured on Monday night for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin. What a story earlier today by the University of Cincinnati Hospital. He woke up, can't talk because he's got a breathing tube, but he wrote down on a pen and paper, did we win the game or who won the game? The doctors responded, you did, DeMar. You won the game of life. Oh, that doesn't give you chills, but the fact that he can communicate with pen and paper now, it's magical, man. That is, um, that's a magical, magical deal. So, now we're kind of getting back into the football mindset. And we could potentially have a neutral site AFC championship game. We could potentially have a coin toss. Determine who's at home between Baltimore and Cincinnati if they play on wild card weekend. A lot of craziness going on. But obviously, first and foremost here in Jacksonville, it's all about the AFC South championship game. The Jaguars and the Titans Saturday night. 8.15, you'll get it right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that covers the AFC South every day. His name is Ben Arthur, my friend from Fox Sports and foxsports.com, and he's coming up next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Saturday night, 
8-15 for the AFC South Division Championship. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's go to a man that covers the AFC South every day. His name is Ben Arthur. He works for Fox Sports, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Ben, how we doing? Ryan, good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben, always appreciate it, man. And All right, so you cover this division every day. If I would have told you six weeks ago, you know, when the Jaguars were 3-7 and seven and the Titans were 7-3, and three, that come week 18 they were going to play in Jacksonville for the division crown, what would you have said? Yeah, my reaction would have been that you're crazy, that you're <laughs> out of your mind. Um, it's just crazy, Ryan, that we're even at this point. Like, I, I think about this every day. Um, obviously, the Titans have kind of collapsed and the Jaguars have ascended. Um, there are many reasons to those things happening. Um, but but yeah, it, it's just kind of insane that, that we're at this point. The Jags clearly look like the better team. The Titans have kind of been in a tailspin uh, since mid-November. I mean, they haven't won a game since uh, mid-November. So, um, so the, the circumstances are crazy. But then again, I mean, this is a, a win and in game. So with all that's kind of gone wrong for the Titans, all that's gone right for the Jaguars. It doesn't. That really doesn't matter. It's all about this week and and who can kind of come on come out on top. So it's going to be a fun game, I'm sure, in Jacksonville. Ben, what happened to Tennessee? Is it as simple as injuries? Is that the main answer, or are there different factors? There, there are a number of factors. Injuries is definitely a, a large component of that. I mean, this is a team that has used more players, that has been forced to use more players than any other team in the NFL this season. And, and this is the second straight year the Titans have used more than any other team in the NFL. So uh, they've kind of been – they've had this injury bug for two seasons now. So that obviously plays a factor uh, for, for both sides of the ball. But uh, this is also about kind of these offensive flaws that the Titans have had really since the beginning of the season. Um, they're not a very good second-half offense for whatever reason uh, – They've been able to string some things together early in the game, but after halftime, it's like this team just cannot execute. Um, they, they can't really move the ball down the field, so that's kind of been an issue. That There have been pass protection woes. Uh, they don't really have a bunch of talent at the pass-catching spots like receiver and tight end. They have two promising rookies in, in Traylon Burks and tight end Shiga Okonkwo, but Beyond them, they haven't really gotten a whole lot of production uh, from in terms of the receiving game. And then the, the run game hasn't always been that great. I mean, Derek Henry has uh, been been playing well in, in December. I mean, he's been he's historically known to kind of play well as the season has gone on. But but we, we've seen kind of throughout the year uh that old line up front, which, by the way, on on top of the injuries, they just don't seem to have the the quality of personnel that that you would hope um, up front. But but they've kind of struggled run blocking um, at a consistently or run blocking effectively 
uh, at a consistently high rate. So it's kind of been all over the issue. It's kind of been all over the map in terms of issues, Ryan. It's been been the injuries, but then also it's been the offense. I think the defense, for the most part, despite all the injuries, they've actually been able to play pretty well. They've kind of plugged guys in um, all over, uh, depending on kind of who's available and who's not, and, and been able to get some good production from guys off of practice squads or from the street, but it's kind of been the offense um, that's kind of been an Achilles heel for the team all season. Ben Arthur covers the AFC South for Fox Sports. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, your assessment of Josh Dobbs last week uh, for Tennessee, I mean, keep in mind for people that don't know, Dobbs was on the Lions practice squad three weeks ago. And now he's starting in the AFC South Championship game on Saturday night. He did play for Tennessee against Dallas. Ben, what did you think then, and what did you think of the decision to start Dobbs this week? Yeah, the decision to start to start Dobbs uh, for this AFC title, AFC South title game, was a, a pretty easy decision. Uh, when he started for the Cowboys, he had joined. He had been signed off Detroit's practice squad just eight days prior, and he was able, despite kind of just jumping into the fire, despite kind of not really knowing the full playbook, still really acclimating himself with the team, not really knowing all of his teammates' names, he was able to move the ball better than Malik Willis could in any of his three starts. Uh, Malik didn't have over 100 passing yards or a passing touchdown in any of his starts. And by halftime, Dobbs had already had more passing yards than uh, Malik had in, in any of his starts. And then uh, Dobbs also had a, a passing touchdown, which the, the Titans never got with, with with Willis under center. So it was a pretty simple decision uh, to kind of go with the guy who's able to move your offense without Ryan Tannehill. And uh, so, so I guess we'll kind of see what that will look like for Tennessee against Jacksonville. Obviously, you have to consider um, the fact that at this point, Dobbs is going to have more reps with those Titans pass catchers, be more familiar with the playbook, have a more kind of comfort in the system. Um, but, but will it kind of be able to be kind of sustained or will it be good enough um, against a Jaguars team that's obviously playing really well? So so that's going to be the big thing to watch. I, I think the big thing in, in Dobbs's favor is that he's going to have Derrick Henry. Uh, the Titans rested Derrick in that Cowboys game. And so having a healthy Derrick Henry and having a de healthy Derrick for, for this game you know, you're going to have to depend on the run game. You're going to have to depend on the defense. You don't want to have to depend on Dobbs too much. Obviously, he's going to have to make some throws. But but if the offense can continue to run through Derek, um, I, I think the Titans are in a pretty good position to to kind of be a good challenger for, for the Jaguars on Saturday. You know, Ben, and, and I've been telling people here all week, really dating back to last week, it's kind of a cautious optimism for me. And maybe it's the voodoo of that Titans logo and the damage they did to me as a teenager following uh, the Jaguars and the Titans games, particularly back in 1999. But Tennessee is the champion 
of this division until they're not. And I know they're down yep. and they're injured, and I get that. But Vrabel is a heck of a coach. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at Jacksonville. I wouldn't be surprised if Dobbs and Malik Willis are both on the field together in certain instances. I mean, if you're Tennessee, what do you have to lose? You've lost six in a row. No one's really picking you to win this game. I think Tennessee is pretty dangerous coming in here on Saturday. Yeah, they do. Yeah, the, the Titans don't have anything to lose. And historically, Mike Rabel coach teams have been very good in those scenarios. Like there were times last year uh, that they faced, they had a tough gauntlet of games last year. They, they faced the Chiefs. They played the Rams in L.A., um, they, they had, uh, they played the, they had the bills, uh, I think it was a Monday night game, uh, in Nashville and the Titans won all those games from the outside. No one gave the Titans a chance in any of those games, but, but the Titans, uh, I, I think kind of much like the Jaguars, they kind of really feed off of being the underdogs. And I, I think this game is going to be like the healthiest we've seen the Titans, uh, in, in a while. And so that's obviously a, I, I think that's going to be a reason for concern. Uh, if you're the Jaguars, knowing that they're going to get the Titans best shot at the same time, though, the, that tight, that Titans ability under Vrabel to, um, to, to kind of rise to the occasion in, in games that, uh, people are counting them out in or, or against teams that are clearly better than, I mean, they haven't had that same success this year. And so is that f switch suddenly going to be flipped in this do or die game? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to flip the switch after you've lost six, six games in, in a row and then just kind of put all your eggs in one basket to win this game. Um, is it impossible? No, uh, but but it's certainly going to be a tough challenge. And then I, I think for the Titans too, even if they do lose this game, I, I think they're in a good. They'll be in a good position for the future because they'll have a. They're pretty much guaranteed to have a top ten pick uh, if they lose, and then they they can really build uh, with that pick. But obviously, they're they're not thinking like that. They they want to win this game. They want to get head into. Jacksonville and, and and steal one and so I'm certainly not counting them out and as long as Dobbs doesn't turn the ball over as long as they can get Derrick Henry going and as long as this Titans defense particularly that pass rush can get in Trevor Lawrence's face if they have those three things working in their favor in this game I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tennessee win this game. Final moments here with Ben Arthur, Fox Sports. He is the AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. Ben, from the Jaguar point of view, look, so many bad memories against Tennessee, and I have to reel myself back in and remember two very important things. As bad as it's been for the Jaguars, really 14 of the last 15 years, and it has been bad, save 2017, um, Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. And, Ben, that's really the answer. It's just different here. Lawrence is on another level right now. Peterson's play calling, my gracious. And this sounds really juvenile, but we haven't had guys in Jacksonville running open down the field in years. Yeah. We haven't had guys in Jacksonville catch the ball and be able to turn up field and get extra yardage. 
We haven't had wide open running lanes for running backs. And as juvenile as that sounds, it's the reality. And Doug Peterson has come in and changed all that. So I think, myself included, people here in Jacksonville need to get over the mindset of the worst possible scenario happening because there's much, much different personnel, both coaching and player-wise, here now than what we've had in quite some time. Yeah, you certainly understand that fear, right, from from the Duval perspective, how how much of how much of a struggle it's been for years and years and years of mediocre, bad football, nothing going their way, bad luck, bad teams, bad coaching, bad all round. But I, I think it's always just important to kind of look at what's going on in the present, right? Like this is clearly not the same old Jags. The culture with that franchise is different play calling standpoint, but setting a standard for for the team that hasn't been there in in quite some time. And I think it was just really telling, and Doug Peterson was talking about this the other day, uh, it was some kind of question uh, along the lines of like when he knew that this team could be what they are now when it was during October when they didn't win a game and how the language, the, the messaging from the players, like there was never a wavering in the confidence. There was never a crumbling in kind of what the message had been like from, from the spring, uh, and the summer, this was a team that through the kind of thick and the thin is, is always kind of believed in that high standard uh, that they're capable of. And so I think when they're when when they were kind of faced with what has defined so much of the Jaguars for the last several years and they were able to maintain kind of this positive outlook, this high standard through that, I, I think that's very symbolic of how this Jaguars team you, you can't kind of put them in the bag with, with other Jaguars teams this is not the same group they obviously have more talent they're a better coached team they have a higher standard for themselves and, and what they expect to put on the field and so I think for all those reasons despite kind of that fear that that cautious maybe cautious optimism as you put it that's out there in Duval, I think those are a lot of reasons uh, to have a really positive mindset kind of heading in, into this game on Saturday. All right, Ben, what's your gut tell you? Who wins the AFC South? My gut says the Jaguars, and because of that, I think the Titans will win. <laughs> uh, if that kind of makes sense. Like, I, I, everything is telling me on paper and, and from a kind of logical standpoint that, that the Jaguars have that will, that they'll win. But a lot of times when I've been so confident that the Titans will lose, they end up winning. So if that, I don't know if that kind of answer gives you the kind of direct answer you wanted, but I think that's kind of where I'm at. My head wants to say the Jaguars, but, but my heart is saying the the, the Titans. So take that, as you will. I think that that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just go back to I almost think Tennessee I would normally pick them to win 
because of what you said. These are games the Titans win. These are games that Vrabel wins. But then I go back to what I said earlier. Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence. It's just different here than it has been in years past. But we'll see. One of them will advance in the uh, NFL postseason, and the other one will go home until August. Ben Arthur, AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. Ben, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. I would imagine you'll be down here on Saturday. Enjoy your trip to Jacksonville, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, covering the AFC South for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we are now inside of 48 hours until the AFC South Championship game on Saturday night between the Jaguars and the Titans. The winner wins the division and is guaranteed at least one home playoff game. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Again, Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com. Thank you to former Jaguar tight end Kyle Brady for joining us tonight. Always enjoy catching up with Kyle Brady, one of, if not the best tight end to ever wear a Jaguar uniform. And my friend Alex Marvez of SiriusXM NFL Radio. You also see him as part of Tony Khan's All Elite Wrestling Always love talking with Alex, Jaguars, and Titans. And I thought Alex gave you a pretty interesting perspective as a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter about the candidacy moving forward of former Jaguar tailback Fred Taylor. Well, like I said, that'll do it for a Thursday. We'll be back on a Friday, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.